0: If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Would you give ear to the reading of God's Word? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless me, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. We come to praise you this morning, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have told us that you have hidden your truth from the wicked of this world, from those who think they're wise and learned while you reveal them to little children, to those who love you. You did this for your own good pleasure. You did this so your people would know your truth. We come this morning to hear your word, to learn about your son, the one you sent to make us alive. Open our hearts. Open our hearts and guide our study that we can, as your little children, learn of you and your gospel that saves the souls of your people. In Christ's name. Amen. This doctrine of election can cause more debates than any other doctrine. Paul, in these first verses of Ephesians, works hard to answer the questions raised by those who would object to this doctrine. It is a very hard doctrine for men to accept because they want in their own hearts to be the one in charge of their eternal destiny. For man to be the one in charge, God's sovereignty has to be destroyed. Any movement away from the doctrine of election does exactly that, compromises the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It is impossible to have two sovereigns with absolute control. When they give contrary degrees, which is to stand and which is to fall? Either God is absolute ruler of his creation or he's not God. There is an account in the first two chapters of 1 Kings that I believe can help you understand this a little bit. It was when David was dying. David had several sons. The oldest living son was Adonijah. As David lay on his deathbed, Adonijah was plotting his move. He called some of David's advisors and friends to a party and declared himself to be the new king. Some of the advisors left out of this meeting went to David and asked if he had not said Solomon was to be king. Indeed, David had said that, and he immediately made Solomon king, destroying all of Adonijah's plans. After Solomon was established, David called him in to give him some instructions. He told him about two men and one group of men he would need to address. One was Joab, his former army commander. Joab had killed two innocent men David had appointed to take his job. David told Solomon he must not allow Joab to go to his grave in peace. The other man was Shimei. He was a relative of the former king Saul who cursed David as he fled from Absalom. The group were the sons of Basilei of Gilead. These men stood with David in Abisham's rebellion and gave him great support. David had specific instructions for Solomon in each case. The two men were to be dealt with according to their treachery, the group according to their kindness. What does this have to do with the definition of Election it shows that the path one follows ends with a blessing or curse of God according to the obedience or disobedience of the individual. Solomon forgave Adonijah his transgression but warned him any more treachery would bring his death. When Adonijah tried to deceive Solomon into allowing him to have one of David's wives as his own, Solomon had him killed because of his attempt to subvert Solomon's right to the throne. He had King Jo he had Joab killed outright because Joab had been one of the advisors trying to make Adonijah king. He told Shimei he could live as long as he never left Jerusalem. Shimei didn't obey, and he was killed for his disobedience. Solomon took the group of men, the sons of Basili, into his court, and they ate at the king's table the rest of their lives. All of these men were chosen by David. They all served or failed him according to their hearts. Election says that all who are chosen by God will serve him. They will not be like men who serve more than one master. They will serve because his power will be working in them and they will be given a seat at his table for eternity. These accounts show the sovereignty the king must protect if he is to serve as a good king. This election was conceived in the mind and heart of God. It was there even before he had revealed his plan for creation. The purpose for this great doctrine was God's desire to have a people unto himself. The fact he first established the decree to elect a people to himself shows the love. The love that has gone into preparing this world and its people. John 3.16 shows that love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God chose you. He chose you in Christ. He chose you that he might prepare a place where you can have peace and be filled with love for eternity at the table of your Lord. Let's look at the definition of election Paul gives in Ephesians 1, 5 through 6. First, We shall see this election as as it relates to our adoption by God. Second, we will examine it as it relates to our redemption. Third, we will look at it in his glory. Last, we shall study it as it is in the beloved. We begin with the idea of adoption as Paul lays it out, verses 5 and 6. Having predestined us to adoption, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. The Shorter Catechism, question 34, asks, what is adoption? The answer states, adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Paul clearly declares, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Election is the first step to our eternal life with God. Election brings us to regeneration, which gives us a nature to enable us to be children of God. It is by adoption that God declares us to be his children. Adoption brings us into many liberties and privileges as a child of God, and all are ours by grace. Listen to these words found in 1 John 3, one. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Two things stand out from this. First, the idea of a universal fatherhood of God is shot down. Those who are not adopted into the family of God have no desire to call him father and no right. Only those upon whom he lavishes his love, only those whom he has called, only those whom he has adopted can come to his throne calling him father. The second thing is the freedom of with which he bestows his grace on those called. The Shorter Catechism says, Adoption is an act of his free grace. John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. It's great because it comes from the Father without any reason for it, found in those to whom he gives it. Also, this act of love is foreordained. You were chosen to receive this gift of love before the creation of the world. You could say the Father pre-encircled you with his love. In his unbounded love, driven by nothing outside of himself, he sets you apart as his own child. David pictures this in Psalm 125, 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. David saw, It was only those in God that were his people. You must know the difference between God's people in the Old Testament and those in the New. The difference is described in theological terms as a theocratic fatherhood and an adoptive fatherhood. Under the old dispensation, men were under the law. They were even as sons no more than slaves because of their relationship to the law. Galatians 4, verses 1 and 2. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is master of all, he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Those under the old dispensation were thus slaves to the law. Yes, God was father of those who were true believers, even under the law. But now things have changed. Jesus was revealed at just the right time to free men from the law. It's no longer necessary that believers be held under the law. When they, by faith, receive the word of God, they are given the Holy Spirit and are considered mature enough to act as sons full grown. The inheritance becomes theirs. And they are, by an act of God's free grace, adopted into his family, As fully participating members. Now understand this free grace. Free grace means it's grace without cost. It costs you nothing. God has given it as a gift. These people are no longer slaves to the law. They are no longer have a trustee. They have now integrated into God's family. Complete with divine inner power provided by the Holy Spirit. You do not need to go through anyone to reach the throne of God. As a believer in Christ, you have direct access. This is the blessing bestowed on the sons of Brasilia. They were admitted to the king's table. Paul says in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Before Christ came, men were under a legal system. Now, they are under a system of grace. Their adoption is based on the work of Christ and the grace given through these works. It's no longer based on your keeping of the law. This new relationship, this adoptive fatherhood, gives to all who come under it a new name, a new legal standing, a new family relationship. They are given the most important thing, a new image, the image of Christ Jesus. When earthly parents adopt a child, they have no power to impart to that child their own genetic makeup. But God, when he adopts, He imparts to those adopted children his own spirit, making them bearers of his image. This is the sum of adoptive fatherhood, receiving the very image of the adopting father. The sons of Brasilia were marked by their presence at the king's table as part of his family. Next, we find our election defined in relation to those purchases to those who purchase this wonderful opportunity. Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. How do you receive this glorious blessing? Paul says it comes through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Jesus Christ came into this world as the light of the world. You are also told that the world did not recognize him because their hearts were dark. They hated the light. They hated the light because it showed them for what they really were. Sinners lost without hope. The only hope for men was the penetrating power of this light. Christ came and completed all the law required for reconciliation of sinful men to holy God. Jesus did everything for you you could not do for yourself. He lived that perfect life. Perfect life was required by the law to come before God. You could not live that life. He lived it for you. Then he offered that perfect life on Calvary's cross as an atonement for your sin. Something you couldn't do on your own. He saved you through his death. And then he won that resurrection victory. He overcame death itself so that you could overcome death and come and live in heaven with him. God, in advance of Christ's coming, preplanned that there would be some men who would be given a heart that could receive the light. All who had this heart could see their own sin and their need of a savior. They would recognize that it was only by the work of Christ's perfect life, his atoning death, and resurrection victory that any man could receive his new standing before God's court and be transformed by the Spirit and thus inherit sonship. All of this comes through Christ and through Christ alone. It comes, as Paul says, in accordance with his pleasure and will. What this makes very clear is that God decided to choose a people for himself. In deciding that, he also made the decision to adopt them as his own children. He was motivated to this by nothing outside of himself, but by his own love alone. What he did was not caused by some interpersonal determination, but by his own divine delight. You could be very determined to submit yourself to a dangerous operation. Say, I'm going to do this. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be cause problems, but I'm going to do it. You could also be very determined to plant a garden. Both are matters of the will. However, planting a garden is also a matter of the heart. Submitting to an operation a matter of necessity. Lamentations 3.33 says of God, for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. In other words, God does not afflict from the heart. However, we find that he delights in the salvation of sinners. Ezekiel 18.23, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Salvation is the greatest of all possible blessings from God. He's not some revengeful creator sitting in heaven having a ball dispensing his justice. His desire is to have a people for himself. He set into motion before he created the world a plan to bring himself that people. The only way, the only way that people can come to him... Is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Christ, you're surrounded by the love of God. You are adopted into the family of God, given an inheritance in him that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Through Jesus Christ, you are brought into the perfect will, into the good pleasure of God the Father. He takes great delight and you're being brought into his kingdom. Therefore, you can say your adoption is defined in the redemptive plan of God through his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who was sent from the heart of God. Again, the sons of Brazilii were taken into Solomon's court because of the love David placed on them. Redemption is the finished work of election. It is the manner in which sinners are changed into spiritual sonship. The excellency of the children of God is clearly seen from the way in which they are brought into this state of sonship. You must understand, they do not enter sonship through natural birth, nor by reason of works. They do not purchase it with money, nor do they attain it by their own goodness. No, they receive it by grace and by grace alone. God elected them, and through their election, they are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. By nature, every person is a child of someone from whom he originates. He comes from one who has his life by way of procreation. Thus, we can see that a believer is a child of God because his spiritual life originates from God by election. James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How does this work out? John 1, verses 12 through 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but by God. What this says is their life originates from God. They are children of God by election and regeneration. In this election, we see that it was foreordained for us to be adopted as sons, as he says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So our definition continues to be defined in his glory. Understand, his glory is the ultimate end of his calling of people unto himself. We have come to a conclusion concerning our election. Now, we must focus upon it and meditate on the fact that this election is the main fountain from which your life, godliness, and salvation comes. Understand, you would not be alive today. You would never have been born had it not been for the decree of election. But since you do exist, you must see how sinful and miserable you are in yourself. Why are you in such misery? Because you were lost in sin. How great is God's goodness towards you? How great is this one who passes by untold millions and leaves them in their sins, and yet he chose you and adopts you into his heavenly family? He pours out his incomprehensible grace and salvation. Why was the gospel proclaimed to you? Why are you called? Why are you drawn and made alive? How is it that you can know Jesus and be drawn in faith by him? How is it that you are allowed communion with God and are filled with fear of his name? Does not all of this come forth from his eternal decree? Therefore, lose yourself in holy amazement and look to your heavenly father and glorify him constantly. There is an immediate reason for this constant glorification. We saw that back in verse 4 when Paul says we were to be holy and without blame. With the immediate purpose came to the blessing of your adoption as children. The final goal of your adoption and perfect life before God was to bring glory to the work of God. This life you live by faith is not because of your efforts, but because of God's love and grace working within you. God has given you his grace through his son on Calvary's cross. Paul now turns his full attention to this amazing grace. Paul saw this marvelous offering of grace and was compelled to cry out, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very genuine expression of praise. And it must never be, must serve as an example to all of us. For you see, even the pagans, will offer praise to his God of stone and wood. The difference is that the true believer offers to God praise for who he is and what he has done. The pagan offers praise to get some favor from his God. We see this in many circles, people calling themselves Christian and offering up this kind of praise. They lift their voices praising God and declaring because of their praise, God has to give them what they desire. This is not true. That's not true praise. True praise is to offer to God glory, even when suffering for his name's sake. It is to declare him God in the face of persecution and threats of death. It is to trust in the grace offered in Jesus Christ, regardless of what the circumstances of the world seem to be telling you. We are a people called to a life of faith. What is this life of faith? Trust in the word of God, listening and learning with the ear, not the eye. The pagan offers praise out of want or appeasement. They use praise to extract from God, not to extol him. Therefore, this type of praise starts in man and ends in man. It brings no honor or glory to God. You remember the offering of Cain, which was not accepted? Cain's offering was an outward expression given to improve his standing. Abel's offering, was, which was accepted, was the inner expression of gratitude toward God for who he is. God shows you before the creation of the world. He sent his only begotten son to pay the price for you. You could not pay for yourself. He provided all you needed to be restored to a place of honor before him. The Apostle John says, John loved you first, and thus you are to love him in return. Your love is not to be an outward expression of desire to please God. It is to be an inner expression of appreciation for all he's done for you. It is to come from your heart and to be in harmony with his will and good pleasure shown in the work of Jesus Christ. You need to understand. You need to see with your own eyes and hear with your own ears this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Place your hope, place your trust in him, for there is no other way. It's not him plus your church, it's not him plus your works, it's not him plus your pastor, it's not him plus anything. It is him and him alone that saves. Turn your attention to him. Give your uh, praise and glory to him for all he's done for you. The last part of this definition of election is found in who that election is centered in. Paul says it this way, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. When God imparts a favor, he does so with gladness of heart and without restraint. His gifts always reach to the heart of those intended and has a great transforming power. The grace of God is the favor of his and his grace is always and only given through his son. Here, he calls the Son the Beloved. Christ, by the means of his life, death, and resurrection, earned every spiritual blessing you need. He desires that you have these things. The Father loves Christ. The Christ who has earned all these things. Therefore, because of his love for Christ, he wants all those who are chosen in Christ to have these same blessings also. Because of his love for Jesus, he wants you. He wants you to have everything you will ever need to be reconciled to him. Was this not his purpose from the very beginning? Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God prepared this wonderful plan before he began creating this world. He prepared his son as the one who would fulfill all the needs of his people. Jesus came with the purpose to earn for his people their redemption. The love that so filled God's heart was love for this one who would carry out these great acts of grace and mercy. You became a recipient of that love. Because of God's decree that all who would hear and believe in Jesus should be saved. It has been said, Christ is the beloved of the Father because he always obeyed the Father. Well, that is absolutely true. John 8, 29 says, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. What you need to understand is that, It is the quality of the obedience that brings the father's love. The son knows the father and what pleases the father. Therefore, he always works in harmony with the father's will. He does not sit around waiting to be told what to do. He knows what must be done and goes ahead and does it. In other words, he willingly offers himself to the will of the father. This is quality obedience. He volunteers to do the father's will. He accepts the sovereignty of the father. In the case of the men who attacked David, they did not accept David as their sovereign king. That was the problem. Solomon, following the advice of his father, David, watched them closely in order to protect his sovereignty. He dealt with them according to their hearts, which in each case showed they did not accept the sovereignty sovereignty of the king. Jesus is not passive in offering even his own life on Calvary's cross. He willingly, he freely lays down his life for he accepts the sovereign plan of his father. John 10, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life and that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. What we see in this is a marvelous delight on the part of the Son to please his Father, even at the cost of his own life. Paul says it best in Philippians 2.8. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death of the cross. This brings from the Father's heart the explanation, this is my beloved son. Jesus came to save his people from their sins, and only the beloved of God could he accomplish this task. He accomplished it by the sovereign power of God, and through that sovereign power, a people were saved out of the mass of sinful humanity. Election is the decree of God that cements his sovereignty over all of creation. My friend, your election is centered in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Those who are elect were chosen in him before the foundation of this world was ever laid. Election means you are encompassed in Christ, surrounded by God's grace and made a part of his family. There is no greater blessing to be given than to be in Christ. For he is the beloved of God and all who will hear his message and will believe on him as the one sent from heaven to proclaim peace to all men shall be saved. Your life, your life will be changed and you will desire to do something new, to offer praise to this one who has so loved you, not in order to gain for yourself anything, but to honor this one who loved you first. These instructions of David to Solomon show the definition of election. They protect the sovereignty of the king and his kingdom. This is the purpose of election. It is what it is designed to do. It is to protect the sovereignty of God. If you have election, as Paul lays it out, you have a sovereign God and kingdom. Anything else destroys the sovereignty of both God and his heavenly kingdom. Open your heart to this wonderful concept of election and predestination because it is in them and them alone that you can find peace and assurance of salvation. In them, you don't have to worry that your weaknesses are going to keep you out of heaven. Because your salvation is found in Christ's strength, not your own. Place your hope. Place your hope in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. For only, only through him, Can you come to the Father? Let's pray. Father, you who are the creator of this world and the redeemer of souls, this morning we humbly come to your throne. We come because we know you're the one who sent Jesus Christ to save our souls and to give us true life. You have told us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You also made it clear that you and you alone are the one who works in us to will, and to act according to your good purpose. Help us, Father. Help us to stand fast in our faith. Help us to serve you and our fellow men, that we might be your witnesses in this dark world. In Christ's name, amen.